we started last week in our series on manhood, and we had, I think, a good time looking at what it means to be humble and how elusive that is and how once you think you've attained humility, you've immediately lost it. And so it's an elusive trait that uh, men should be aspiring to. In fact, we're only hitting three traits in this series that men should be aspiring to that might be something you already are aware of. Maybe you're not living it out fully. Maybe you haven't really thought about it this way before at all. There's so many we need to grow in as men, but this particular set are the ones that we, as we prayed through these things, we thought this was the thing we needed to cover the most for our church in this culture and this time frame. And so I I just encourage you today as we look at this new one, this new attribute of manhood that we need to see in man as we raise that standard to the biblical standard of manhood, that I think this one um, will be a little bit more in our faces even than last week. I think that while it is not as elusive as humility is, that it is one of the most difficult things to strive for. I think that some of us probably have been striving for this at some level, although we would admit we've fallen short in other levels and places. And some of us would even say that we don't even know how to strive for this very well. Maybe we've been trying, but we're not very good at it. We feel like we're not very good at it, and that's okay. We're going to talk today about what this thing is. We'll define it, and we're going to talk about why we need it, and then we're going to talk about how we get there. But the thing we're going to talk about this week as you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 is the idea of holiness, that men need to be holy. And we can talk about a lot of things. We can talk about macho-ness. In fact, machismo is the way that I've kind of always heard that made the most sense to me. When I was in Spain, I saw a lot of guys trying to show bravado. We do it here in our own ways. Over there, it's riding scooters without a helmet, racing through the streets. Over here, it's driving 4x4s or fast cars. Um, it, it's, it's the way in which you carry yourself when you're around other guys, how we puff out our chest. Uh, we like to show those type of macho things. But what the scriptures lay out for us is not that image. Uh, We see that the greatest man who's ever lived, the most powerful man who's ever lived, the strongest and the most giving, sacrificial man who's ever lived is Jesus. And he is the benchmark for what it means to be a man. And so one of the areas in which I feel like that we struggle as believers, that I struggle as a believer, and I think we in the Western world, in the church in the West, struggle as believers is that we do not live up to the standard of holiness that's been set before us. Not only do we not live up to the one in Scripture, we've actually lowered the bar that our churches have raised up to certain heights and that our persons or our families have raised up to certain heights. We lower that bar almost every chance we get because it's difficult to live a life of holiness. So let's define this idea of holiness as we get started. I'll define the word holy. Now, when I'm talking about God, we're talking about holy being completely other than pure, righteous, morally good, completely separate from everything else. There's no way to describe God in a way that says he's like us, okay? Yes, you can become more like him, but he is not described by talking about us. We describe him with big words like transcendent, like imminency. We talk about perfection, holy. In fact, in the Bible, the only place where a word is used to the nth degree about God's character is the word of holiness or holy. We see it in Isaiah 6, where the angels begin to to declare out to Isaiah and to all that can hear that God is holy, 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 which in the Hebrew means holier than anything that could be. He's the holiest, that three times called the trihagion, it's the, the holiest anything or anyone could be, completely other than. For us, though, holiness is a little different. 
God has always been holy. He's always been good, right, pure, ethically perfect. He's always been set apart from us. We are His creation. He's the creator. We are infinite difference between us and God. When it comes to us being holy, though, we've got to understand it a little differently. So when you come to faith, so when you first come to know Jesus, you're what the Bible refers to as being regenerated, born again. So God moves on you. He draws you in. You repent of your sin and turn towards the Lord and believe on Jesus as your Savior. You are born again. That all happens in a moment. And then from there forward, the Holy Spirit residing in you leads you to become more and more like Jesus. But unlike our salvation initially, we don't earn it. We don't do anything to make it happen. Our holiness, our sanctification, another word for that, that that sanctification, that, that becoming more and more like Jesus as we go, that is a product of God working in us by His Spirit and also us yearning and working and striving along with Him to become more like the Christ. So while we can never earn our salvation in our works, we are to strive for holiness. We are to work hard in endeavoring in being like Jesus. And so I want us to make sure we get that picture. So to be sanctified, to be holy, means to be set apart for God, to be dedicated to God. You see, let me give you this too. Holiness is relational. It's not just this thing you aspire to. Holiness is relational. It's pursuing God by striving to be like Jesus. So it's turning your eyes towards the Lord. That's repentance, turning from sin or whatever else you're looking and putting your heart on, turning your eyes to the Lord and pursuing after Him. That's your part of the process of holiness or sanctification. And then God works in you and through you to accomplish that goal. I'm going to read some old dead guys today to you and some quotes. One is going to be really confusing. I'll sum it up simply because I need simple and then I'm also going to give you a lot of Scripture. Don't try to hang with me on the Scripture. If you want these today, uh, please email me, text me. My phone number's in the bulletin. I will send it to you as a PDF, or I'll get it where you can pick it up at the office. I'll be glad to share all my notes with you. Um, but you will not be able to keep up as we go with the Scripture. That's not a challenge for some of you, okay? I'm just saying, don't get hung up on those things. All right, here we go. J.C. Ryle is one of my favorite old dead guys, and he says, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, according as we find his mind described in Scripture. So being of one mind in God, like the Scripture says, it's the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. He most entirely agrees with God, who is the most holy man. You see that? It's about the relationship of agreeing with the Lord. That's holiness. John Webster, another guy from Aberdeen, he says, the church is holy. See, it's it's never just an individual thing. It's about a corporate thing as well. It's always both and. The church is holy, he says, but it is holy not by virtue of some, he calls it, hang with me here, not by virtue of some ontological participation in the divine holiness. In other words, it's not because you and I are of the same essence of who God is that we're gods, so we're holy, but it's by virtue of us being called by God, It's by virtue of us receiving the divine benefits, being saved, being changed, receiving the Holy Spirit, and it's by virtue of obedience of faith. So we have a part in it too. That's holiness. Our obedience. Another word you could put in there with holiness, obedience. See, holiness is both a thing God does in us, and it's something that we strive for by grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross to wash our sins away and declare us righteous. 
But we have the responsibility and we are commanded by that same God to be holy as well. So we have a responsibility in holiness. In fact, it's a fight in which we endeavor not to gain our salvation, but to pursue the one who pursued us so much, even to the point of his own death on the cross. So it's a fight that we are engaged in. John Owen, this is that weird one. Okay, so hang with me for a second. I don't even know if I want to read it. Let me just, I'm going to paraphrase him, okay? He basically says it like this. He says, in our vernacular, not in like super professor words. He says that if you repeatedly begin to walk in sin, not holiness, that you may begin to develop a disposition and even be inclined in your will to a proneness or a readiness to consent to more sin when it approaches. In other words, the more sin you walk in, the more easily you'll fall into doing more sin as sin becomes available to you, or as you're tempted with sin. So the more you do it, the more you're going to be tempted to do it, the easier you'll fall into it. I think that's a true statement for us, right? So the idea of holiness, why is it so important then? Why is holiness something we need to strive for? Why do I need to fight for holiness? I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to look at some scripture now, and we're going to look at some more from some older day guys that are smarter than me, but mostly from Scripture. Let me give you some Scripture right now. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, he says, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me back up and reread that list real quick. It's easy for us to hear that and be like, gosh, those people, right? Let's hear that again and let's try to find what we are doing in that list. Jesus says that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. So he takes it to a new level. So think about this list in that way when he says, these are the works of the flesh that are evident. Sexual immorality. That word is where we get the word pornography from. It's the word porneia in the Greek. It means anything sexually immoral. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. It's putting anything above God in our love. We love something else more than we love God. Sorcery. That word actually comes from the word where we get the word pharmacology. It's pharmacia. So sorcery was not just like witchcraft. It was mixing potions and putting things together in a format to change someone's mind, to, to interact with them in a different way. So a lot of people would think that this also connects to drug use. Okay, so maybe it's drugs in the street. Maybe it's taking drugs we don't need that have been given by our doctors, right? But sorcery, enmity, fighting, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Any of you ever struggle with fits of anger? Rivalries. I mean, look at us. You can take it too far, right? Rivalries, dissensions, causing dissension within a body of friends or coworkers or the church or in families, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stiff statement. Romans 7. So I find it to be a law that when I do what I want to do, what is right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God, Paul says, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's a struggle for all of us. Before I get to the text, let me give you a couple more quotes to drive this home. John Owen, he says, I don't understand how a man can be a true believer in whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. You get it? Like, if we say that we're followers of Christ and yet we're not worried about our sinfulness, then are we really who we say we are? It doesn't make sense biblically. J.C. Ryle, again, he says, true Christianity. Let us mind that word true. There is a vast quantity of religion current in the world which is not true. And he's talking about this a couple hundred years ago. He says, it's not genuine Christianity. It passes muster. It satisfies sleepy consciences, but it's not good money. It's not the real thing, which was called Christianity 1,800 years ago. There are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday and call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They are reckoned Christians while they live. They're married with a Christian marriage service. They mean to be buried as Christians when they die, but you never see any fight about their religion of spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring. They know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity may satisfy man, he says, and those who say anything against it may be thought very hard and uncharitable, but certainly it is not the Christianity of the Bible. It's not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and his apostles preached. It's not the religion which produces real holiness. True Christianity is a fight. Brothers, it is a fight to strive for holiness. And too often we fail to even get in the ring. There's all kinds of reasons we'll hit on in a minute. But he goes on, he says, The true Christian is called to be a soldier and must behave as such from the day of his conversion to the day of his death. He's not meant to live a life of religious ease, indolence, and security. He must never imagine for a moment that he can sleep and doze along the way to heaven like one traveling in an easy carriage. If he takes his standard of Christianity from the children of this world, he may be content with such notions, but he will find no countenance for them in the word of God. If the Bible is the rule of his faith and practice, he will find his course laid down very plainly in this matter. He must fight. It's all through Scripture. We must fight, brothers. If we are seriously, if we have been changed by Jesus, we must fight for holiness. And it is a fight. There are no bench warmers in this game. There are fighters. Either you're fighting for the king or you're fighting for the enemy. You're fighting for the king who fought and gave his life to you to win the victory already, or you're fighting for the enemy who wants to destroy you too. And you're either fighting actively for the king or you're fighting actively for the enemy. Or maybe you're fighting actively for the king or you're fighting passively for the enemy, but there is no passivity in fighting for holiness and fighting for the king. You're in the game, one way or the other, though. Look at all the scripture around it. I'm just going to read them without reference. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Or Jesus says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Paul tells the Corinthians, 
Be watchful, men. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Strength in our culture isn't shown in love. Not really. We're commanded of it. Or Paul tells Timothy, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Or Romans 6, listen, this is kind of long. Listen to this, Romans 6, 15 and on. What then, Paul says, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, he says. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He goes on, he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from those things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are two teams, and we are fighting for one side or the other. You're fighting by fighting for holiness, for the king and his glory and for our joy, or we're fighting for the enemy by laying down or by fighting actively going against the Lord. We are in the game. We are in the war. Ephesians 1.4 even states for us, as you remember us going over this a few months ago, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. So he chose us before the foundation of the world so that we'd be holy and blameless before him, it says. Look with me at 1 Peter, our main text. We're going to unpack this for the remainder of our time. Starting in verse 13, chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Lord, help us today as we work through this to be changed more and more into the image of Christ. Amen. Look, I'm going to give you some why we should do it. 
some more of this. And then we're going to jump into the how. So let's jump into the whys according to this text. Number one, fight for holiness because it's commanded of you by your king. If you say you love Jesus, if you say that he has saved you, then he is our king. He's not just our friend, which he is as well. He's not just our brother, which he is as well. He is our king. And when the king commands something and you're a loyal subject, you do what he says. Verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. He has commanded us. Therefore, let's fight for holiness because our king says we should. Not only says we should, he commands us to do it. And secondly, we fight for holiness because it is a fearful and awful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. You may say, that's crazy. We're not supposed to fear God. We have Jesus. The text here says we do. Let's look at it together. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father, so in other words, and if you call on God as your father, which everybody that says they're a believer does, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, this guy's a judge who judges everybody according to what you've done. He says, this is the command, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Well, why should we do that? He goes on, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. In other words, it was paid, you were paid, bought and paid for by God. You were ransomed from the ways of your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In other words, he's saying what I would say. He's saying what any of us would say. If my son had to be the one to die in your place to save your souls, and then you acted like it was not worth your time, was it worth your full giving of your life because he gave his life for you? I would be upset. So he says here, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers with the precious blood of Jesus. Worth more than all things ever. Fully perfect, fully good, always right. Did everything the way it should be done. Doing the life we could not live perfectly, he lived perfectly. Dying the death we deserve in our place that we should have incurred under the full wrath of God for all of eternity, he drank it down on the cross in our place. And because he did that, we now are commanded. He says, you must deny yourself. You must give up yourself. You must be crucified with me every day. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you love me back because I first loved you, you'll be like me he says, throughout Scripture. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone, listen, and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If we don't have holiness, you will not see the Lord. This should be fearful to us, especially reading over that list of sins that we've all been embarking in. Fight for holiness because it's a fearful thing to be in the hands of an angry God. Now, it doesn't end there. We'll get to the grace in a minute and the mercy. But the next one, fight for holiness because you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So not only because God might be angry with you, but because Jesus gave his life for you. Right? The one who's perfect, that didn't deserve to die, died for you so you could be brought into the family of God. Man, he sacrificed everything when you and I deserve hell. And instead, he brought hell down on himself by drinking it down, all the wrath from the Father on our behalf so we could be brought into the kingdom. Give your life to holiness. Fight for holiness because the Son of God has actually given his life for you. 
and he's worth it. And fight for holiness because it reveals who you really love. It reveals who you really love. Look back at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, I sometimes have trouble with my kids not obeying. Imagine that. And oftentimes, I want to go into one of those fits of anger. Okay? So when God's grace is upon me and I don't do that, I have learned a few ways to try to turn the tide. And one of them I learned from God is saying, hey, if you love me, you'll obey me. I'll ask my kids, you say you love me, right? Yeah, we love you. Well, then obey me. Show me that you love me by obeying me. You don't have to earn it. I, I, I love you no matter what. But if you love me, obey me. That shows me that you, you really do love me. Just like when we obey God, that shows him we love him. Fight for holiness because it reveals who you really love. Let me give you some text to go with this. 1 John 2, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we say we're followers of Christ, but we look nothing like Jesus, then we're a liar. The Bible's saying it, but we already know it. Right? If we are saying we are His, and we are following Him, and that we are in Jesus, we're abiding in Christ. That's what it means to be a believer. If we're saying those things, then we will walk in the way in which He walked. We'll be like Jesus. Now listen, let me say a side note real quick. That doesn't mean that every time that you commit a sin, you're out. What it means is that if we followed you around with a camera and did that, like a Polaroid, remember those? Every time you did something, I snapped it and be like, look, you're a sinner, going to hell, right? We could do that. Now, you look at that at first, you go, wow, that's crazy. That would be like all day long, all the time. That's not the way it works. It's more like taking your iPhone, flipping it to video, and filming somebody for a year. If I followed you around for a year, where I look at the first part all the way to the end and go, wow, from the day one to day 365, you look more like Jesus now than you did before. Because God's working in you, and yeah, you made some mistakes, and you fell down in some ways, some big ones, some little ones, but what I see is that God brought you to repentance, that you regretted that, that you were ashamed, you're ashamed of those things. God worked in you. You strove hard. You worked hard. God's empowering you by the Spirit, and over time, you look more and more like Jesus. That's how our lives should look. We'll not be perfect until Jesus comes back and takes all the sin away. But before that, we should see a striving in ourselves and a powerful movement of God in us and through us to make us more into the image of Christ over time. Jesus said this in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He also said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him, make myself real to him, in other words. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, in case you're a little struggling now with like, whoa, I've done this so much, maybe I don't have any hope, but listen to this. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. If you've repented of sin and turned to the Lord and become a believer, if you've put your faith and hope in him, if you've renounced him as your savior, if you believe on Jesus, he says, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. 
That means that this is how this works. It's crazy. If you and I sin, yet we love God, God will then work in us to hate that sin and to turn back to the Lord. That's called repentance. Okay? And that we don't have to be perfect because when we turn to the Lord, we see that Jesus has become our sanctification. He's become our holiness for us. So here's how it works. When you and I sin, we do something we shouldn't do. We lust after something or someone. When we commit a crime of some kind against another, whether biblically or, or, or ethically, morally, in our civil system, whatever it is, anything we do in sin, we see that. We, we recognize according to the Spirit convicting us. We hate it. We turn from it. We turn and walk to our holiness, who is Jesus. And as we see him and see how great he is, we're killing the sin and we're reaching out for what is greater. And he shows us his love and grace by being our sanctification. It changes everything. It's relational. You can't just repent of sin and not be in a relationship. It draws you from that relationship into one tighter with him. This is how it works. Everything in here is relational. Our holiness is relational. So what that means for us, brothers, is let's fight for our holiness. Let us stand up and begin to fight for holiness. And let's fight for our holiness in Jesus, because that's where it's found. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we find that we become holy. The more we strive to move towards Him and away from whatever distracts us from that, the more we become like Jesus. Remember, good and evil in the Scriptures is not necessarily what you think of morally. Good in Scripture is anything that draws you into more of a relationship with God. Evil is anything that pulls you away from relationship with God. So something that might be good in the world could be evil in the eyes of the Lord. So let's turn away from the things that draw us away from God, whatever that might be in your life. It could be different for all of us. And let's turn toward the Lord and do the things that draws us into relationship with Him. That's called being made holy. Being holy, striving for holiness. So let's fight for that holiness in Jesus. Let's fight for that holiness for the king's sake, because he's worth it. Let's fight for that holiness for your wives, men, because she's worth it. Your wife needs you to be holy more than she needs you to be anything else. Ephesians chapter 5. He has a big statement. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, die to self every day so that you might love your wife the right way. Gentlemen, we should be holy because she needs our holiness more than she needs anything else. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, so that she would become holy. That's what he did that for, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, he's talking about Jesus and the church, but he's saying in the context of marriage, holiness for us is diving into the word to see who Jesus is and helping our wife do that too as we die to self and serve her daily. That's being holy with our wives. They need that. They deserve that from us because we are to mimic Jesus and they are worth it, guys. This is who we're made to be. Fight for holiness for your wife. He says he did that so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Listen, brothers, we need to fight for holiness for the sake of our children and our grandchildren and our nephews and our nieces and our stepchildren and the children that aren't ours, but we call them like our children and care for them like our children and pray for them like our children. We need to fight for our holiness, guys, for them. Because they are worth it, no doubt, right? We would say any moment, I would give my life for my kids. 
But are you doing that every day? Am I doing that every day? Can we do that more every day to die to self, to serve our children and lead them to Jesus every day? Yes, we could. And I don't just mean that in the sense that we need to lead them to come to faith. That's huge, yes. But also every day. Your kids don't need to see you in power over them. They need to see you in humility, bowing the knee before the king and before them when you repent to them because of the mistakes you made. That will change their lives more than your power or authority will ever. When you do something wrong, you go to your children and say, I'm sorry I made a mistake. Would you please forgive me? Broken over our sin. They are worth it, brothers. Let us stand up and fight for them. Fight for our wives. Fight for the king. Let us fight for the lost who need that as well, to see broken men who love God more than themselves, who are willing to serve the lost more than themselves. Let's fight for the holiness of our children. Let's fight for the holiness of our faith family, for our church. Our church needs men who are holy more than it needs men who are showing themselves to be strong. We need holiness. This church will never be what it is meant to be until we become holy, until we strive for holiness. If we are entangled in sin behind closed doors, when we're clicking on stuff but people don't know it on our phones or on our computers at midnight or at office time, when we're being a jerk to everybody, when we are, when we are not being Jesus-like and to our kids or to our families or anybody else, that is doing nothing but working for the enemy. We need to repent and believe on Jesus and become more like him and turn our eyes to him and become holy. Fight for holiness. Our church needs that. It will never be the church we're meant to be. First Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we can't be holy and just by being good people. We have to be holy by speaking of the excellencies of Jesus. That's the whole purpose. That's how we do it. And you can't do that if you don't know him. We can't do that if we don't understand who he is. We have to be face first in the scriptures, studying him, knowing him to make much of him. And let me tell you this, gentlemen, lastly in this little rant. We need to fight for holiness because you are worth it. Because your own soul is worth it. You may think that you're not worth anything. You may have thoughts in your mind that that you or your family, or your friends, or your job, you be better off if you weren't there. Maybe you just hate yourself because you keep falling into sin. Maybe you can't stand what you're living like, and you know it, but nobody else does. You feel like God could never forgive you. He loves you so much, knowing all that stuff, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, so that he could bring you into his family, because he wants you in his family, because he loves you that much, knowing everything. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you're worth it. To fight for holiness for your own soul's sake because you are worth it. We've been given forgiveness in Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You can carry on with your life the way you think it should be in your own ways, but I guarantee you will lose your life in the end. But if you give up that stuff now and get on Team Jesus and be all in, you will lose nothing and you will gain everything in Christ. Everything. The Bible says that all the pleasures we can imagine are at the right hand of God, and that's where Jesus is seated right now. 
He can give you everything. So how do we do it, brothers? How do we fight for holiness? Got a few ways. One, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. How do you prepare your mind? In Romans 12, we see that you're supposed to take every thought captive. We're, we're to be changed according to the word of God. We need to see that we purify our souls by our obedience to the truth, but you've got to know the truth before that can happen. Start off your day in the Word. Read Scripture and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? Holy Spirit, tell me, work in me what I need to be different. How do I need to be different according to this? And then fall at the feet of Christ. I can't do it, but He can. That's why He says next, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. That means being singularly focused. Having everything focused in one way. Don't, not, don't be distracted. For you, maybe distracted is coming into Netflix at home when everybody goes to bed and you get to have a release. Maybe for you, it's going out and working in the shop. Maybe for you, it's, it's going out and playing the game with the guys. Maybe for you, it's going hunting, whatever that is. It's not a bad thing, but if you're going to that as the way in which you find hope for the end of the day to feel rejuvenated and refreshed, you're going to the wrong place to drink. We need to go to the place that will satisfy who is the Lord. And it's not easy. It's a fight. It's a struggle. But it's the only place we'll find true, full joy now and forever is in Jesus. In fact, you may think, well, I can't do that. Let me help. 1 Corinthians 2, 3. And I was with you in weakness, Paul says, and in fear and in much trembling. In weakness, unable. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Don't put your faith in you. You can't, but he can. He's already proven it in Jesus on the cross. He's already got victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell on the cross for you and for me. And now we just need to lean into him and enjoy the freedom, enjoy the joy, enjoy the relationship, enjoy the salvation where we find it in him and in nowhere else. We've got to fight for that kind of holiness, brothers. Next, we see him say it like this. In fact, this is the main verb right here when he says, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully, totally, alone in, that's the idea, fully, alone, and nothing else but this, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, the eternal life we will have with him, the joy we will have with him where there's no mourning, no sickness, where we are with him forever in fullness of joy, where every day we receive more and more of that, like the highest drug you could ever imagine, greater than that in joy, every moment with Jesus forever and ever. Set your mind on that, he says. Set your hope fully on that, not on anything else. Because everything else will fail you. But Jesus will never fail you. I mean, he may pray and ask for things he doesn't give you because he knows better. He knows things we don't know. But when you align yourself to him, setting your hope fully on him, on his return, gosh, you will strive in holiness. In fact, John, in his epistle, 1 John 3, 3, it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's the thing. When you turn your eyes to Jesus, when you put your hope in him, he works in you to purify you. All that stuff that you wanted that's not good for you in your relationship with God, he kicks it out because it tastes like junk now. Because you've tasted of what is really good. And the last one here. Look with me, verse 17 through 19. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, 
according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. But notice that part right there in verse 17 and 18. 19, it says, If you call on him as father, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We should all fear trampling the blood of Jesus. If you've met Christ, if he is yours, you see the value in the sacrifice of Jesus. We should fear ever defaming the name or the value or the blood of Christ. Ever, never should always be our motto. Never will I do it. This is who we are. Lovers of Jesus. We are fighters for hero, our hero Jesus. The great avenger. The great joy. The great sacrifice. The great giver of all things good. Trampling the blood of Jesus on your way to satisfying sinful desires should fear every one of us. Hebrews 10. Let me give you some a little bit longer. We're in the last one. Let me just close it up with these things. For if we go on sinning deliberately, he says, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. He says, back in the day, if anybody doesn't do the law, they die. How much worse punishment do you think, he says, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And don't walk that way. You may think, that could be me. It doesn't have to be. Today's a day of redemption. Put your hope in Jesus. Do not walk the way of condemnation. Do not walk the way that tramples the blood of the Christ. You say, I've been doing it. God can forgive you because Jesus is worth that much. His sacrifice is worth enough to overcome any sin if you'll simply turn and put your faith in him. Today is the day to be clean of those things. Today is the day to not trample the blood anymore. Today is the day to find salvation, to find hope, to find redemption. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you mortify it, kill it, put to death what therefore is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, Paul talks about in Romans 8, he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you hear that? If by the Spirit you put to death, you mortify, you kill the sinful deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It should be fearful to go to something that can hurt you or kill you. That's why I tell my kids, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the things that can hurt you. Don't touch the fire. Stay back from the fire. But everything else is joyous. It's good. 
Don't do the things that would bring you calamity or wrath. Run to the king who gives you utmost joy. Fight for your holiness, brothers. What would it look like if we in here decided to fight for our holiness? What would it look like if today you decided to get off of the team that's against Christ and get on the team that is for Christ, who's already won the victory? You may think, I can't do it. Jesus has done it for you. You may think, I'm not able. God's going to empower you with his Holy Spirit, and he is able. You may think, I'm unable to ever live perfectly. That's okay. Jesus lived perfectly on the cross, and he did it for you, and he went to death so you don't have to, defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell so you can be brought into his kingdom, so he can love you, not just to be a servant, but to be a son or a daughter in the God's family. What a glorious moment you have right now to put your faith and hope in him. Brothers, if you have been walking in a way that has been against the Lord, today's the day to repent and believe in Jesus. Turn to Him. Put it all at His feet. And when you struggle again, run back to the cross. When you struggle again, say, Lord, I can't right now. Remind me of what you have done for me on the cross. Fill my heart with the love and mercy and grace of what you showed me on the cross. Make it real to me right now. And when He fills you with that joy, it kicks out the desire for the thing that no longer tastes as sweet. And you will find freedom from your sin as you run to Jesus. Let us fight for our holiness, brothers. Let us fight. No longer staying in the, what we consider to be the medium ground or fighting a little here but not over there. There's only one way, all in, fighting with everything we have. Let us run out of all that we have so that at the end of the day we slide in and we say, I have nothing left, Lord. It was all for you. For you are worthy, Lord. Because your families are worthy, guys. Because your wives are worth it. Because your children are worth it. Because his kingdom is worth it. And our Savior is worth it. Let us fight for holiness. Father, I pray right now that you would work in our hearts. Lord, we have hard hearts. and At times, we do not want to let go of the sin which so easily entangles us. So, Lord, we need you to supernaturally break us free from that and help us to trust in Jesus. Show us the joy. Show us what we need to do to fall at the feet of Jesus. And, Lord, we know it is a gracious giving over of ourselves because we don't even have to die. We just die to self and take on the life of Christ, which is so much greater. Lord, reveal to us where we need to repent of sin and turn to you. If it's for the first time, Lord, bring someone to faith today that we might rejoice with them and celebrate as heaven erupts. And if it's for the umpteenth time that someone is repenting of sin, Lord, bring them back to you and let them be a part of a community of faith that wants to love them and walk with them and care for them and kick them in the rear when needed, Lord, and, and walk with them and help them move forward to become more like you, for we all need that in our lives. Lord, forgive us for where we have failed as men, but help us, Lord, not to stay there. It's all right to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay here, Lord. We need your help. Help us today to fight for holiness, for your glory and for your son's fame. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.